welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. We are going to uh, quickly do something that is like massively huge that i got to get done in this little tiny window of time. So we are going to have to believe God. We are in King and Kingdom. And today is going to be a mini <laughs> King of Kingdom, even though I don't know if it's going to have to be a two-parter or what, but the things that the Father laid on my heart are not going to be able to be done in the time that I have. Uh, so I would uh, encourage if you do not, if you did not bring your Bible, if you did not bring your sword, you need to raise your hand so that we can give you a sword. Um, God have mercy on your soul if you try to accomplish well in this life. <laughs> when you have an enemy who is seeking whom he may devour. You know who he cannot devour? Someone that's got a sword ready to stick down his throat. You don't have a sword <laughs> to stick down his throat? He'll gum you to death. His teeth have been pulled, so the only thing he can do is gum you. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. For those of you that are not ashamed to have a sword. Fear not, little flock. No fear, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It pleases the Father to make available to you the benefits of His kingdom. And there's fathers in this room, and, and um, especially today on Father's Day, you're very aware <laughs> of your fatherness. And you know that... Uh, that impact in your heart when your children authentically sincerity in in real heart ways allow your voice and your blessing and the desires that you have for them allow those things to take place in their lives and you also know the other thing when they're faking it You know when they're just doing the thing. You know, not as a kid, uh, whenever we'd get in fights with our brothers, you know, and mom or dad would say, now you go apologize to your brother. And we'd stomp in there, sorry, jerk. <laughs> and you, like you filled the role, you didn't actually accomplish the intent of the heart of your father in that. And remember, Jesus told a parable that there was two sons. And he went to the first son. He said, hey, go out in the field and work for me. And the first son said, yes, sir, I'm on it. 
And then he lied and didn't do nothing. Went home and played video games in the basement. And the next son, he went to that son and he said, hey, go and work for me in the field. And that son said, hey, I'm busy, Dad. Got stuff to do. You aren't really that important. And then later on, he repented. And he realized what his father was asking him to do would bring benefit not only to his father, but to his own life. And then went out and did it without it going back to the father and saying sorry or anything. Just went out and actually did what was asked of him to do. And Jesus told this parable to illustrate the fact that an, the true authentic expression of your heart is going to be in the way that you live it out. It's not going to be about what you say. Words are cheap. It's going to be about the legitimacy and the authenticity in the way that you live it out. And in this expression, if you allow the Father to bring to you the benefits of the kingdom, this is one of the real ways that you can show Him that what He has done for you has real impact in your life. But if it's just about doing the motions, checking the box, if you're here today so that you can, you can get your church attendance service gold sticker on the chart in the back room, that is not the Father's heart. That is not the Father's heart. In John chapter 8, I'm going to talk about Liberation versus liberty. And this is a, a truth of the kingdom. Remember this series is called King and Kingdom. The reason he's the king is because he has conquered all. But the only place that his dominion which is the second half of the word kingdom, king's dominion, dom. The only place that the king's dominion is done is in his kingdom, which is not everywhere. Jesus does not rule and reign everywhere. He rules and reigns where folks allow his king's dominion to take place. Uh, if, you're, if you're not understanding what I'm saying, let me give you a very clear illustration. Washington, D.C. Anybody? Not the king's dominion. He wants it to be. He desires for it to be. Not. This thing that God just rules, God's in charge. He rules everywhere. You... you, (laughs) One half of the lobe is not operating correctly. We'll lay hands on you and try to get it engaged. But God is not in charge everywhere. God is in charge at the places that he is given the right and given the dominion to be in charge. I pray that it's every heart in this place. But I also am not naive enough to think that it ain't. That a ton of our lives, we have said, hey... Stay back. I got this. I am king 
and my dominion rules here. And then I'll let you know, God, when you get a little place. That is, uh, that is actually very normal in Christianity. That is the revelation of Jesus as Savior. Which gives you permission to go out and mess stuff up so the Savior can come in and save. And then go mess stuff up and then he saves and go mess stuff up. And it's, this is this secular Christianity that a lot of people experience. Where the people that talk about the honeymoon, the people that talk about the on the mountaintop experience, and then I'm in the valley. And there's all kinds of language about this. And I've heard so many different sermons and so many terrible terrible doctrines that have come out of this that have zero to do with the with the real authentic experience that Jesus has in, has died and resurrected to give us which is the abundant life. Amen. You are not going to find the scripture that God wants to give you abundant life and then terrible life and then abundant life just so you recognize how great the life is. That is torturous. And that is not congruent with the heart of God. He wants you to have the abundant life and keep the abundant life. He's not, he's not some slave master with a carrot on a string saying, well, if you perform good enough for me, I'll let you have a little bite. That is, that is ugly. And the fact that people have embraced that about God is why some of the folks have the Christian experience that they have. And then they create this doctrine. Well, I guess I'm in the valley. God wanted me in the valley. God didn't want you in the valley. If you're in the valley, that's your stupid self. And you need to repent and get out of the valley because He wants to take you to the promised land. You spend 40 years in the desert, that ain't on Him. He said specifically, don't do this and you won't have that. And then they said, well, watch this. (laughs) You aren't going to break the principles of God. The, the things that Bob's talking about with prosperity. You're not going to break the principles of God. God has ordained things to operate eternally the way that He set them up. That's why Galatians 6 says that, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man shows, sh- sows, that shall he also reap. And he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And if you're sitting there, you're thinking, man, I am reaping so much flesh and corruption. (laughs) I'm trying to be nice here. But why in the world are you sowing to that? It it is shocking to people like me and Larry. (laughs) Who understand that if you put corn in the ground and then you're out there screaming for tomatoes, that you just, they need to come by in a short bus and take you to a padded room. And there's a ton of people in Christianity that live that way. Well, I have no idea why I'm, I'm reaping all of this. You don't. I'm like, uh, I'll move on. And Jesus said in verse 31, the king, the king said, to those Jews which believed in Him. Now, I want you to get... Uh, the, there's some radical things that are going on here, and I, and I pray that when you're reading your Bible, that you're looking for these things that are the words behind the words, the truths behind the sentences. He's talking to Jews 
that believe in him. Now, first off, you do realize the Jews, they weren't like super cool with him. <laughs> they ended up being the ones that put him on the cross, if you're, if you're following the whole gospel story. So these were, I want you to get this, this was like the remnant. These were those folks that actually were like, hey, you know what? What this guy is saying, these things are true. These, there's power behind this. And they were literally uh, walking away from the religion of their fathers. They were walking away from, in, in their mind, they were potentially going into apostasy. They were walking away from, at that point, the authentic belief system, the traditional religion that their fathers handed down to their fathers, to their fathers, to their fathers, all the way back to Abraham. They were walking away from this because they really believed what Jesus was saying. Like, this is radical. When you see statements like this, you've got to think this through. That would be like someone coming in here and in this authentic, amazing culture, and they say, hey, you know what? Uh, Pastor Steve is wrong. We need, to, we need to worship a unicorn that flies by on every Tuesday, and here's how you're going to worship it. And I know that you're all like, stupid illustration. But the way that Jesus was pulling away from some of the things that was, that was absolutely solidified in Judaism... It was that crazy. And these were those remnant folks that were saying, you know what, these words carry power. They carry authority. And what he's doing, this cannot be just some guy manipulating and deceiving us. This is the real. Which means that what we've been living in is not fully the real. And so they were transitioning to the real. Those Jews that believed on Him. On Him. Not in Him. On Him. They were putting their trust in Him. On Him. If you continue in my word. Now see, this is the, this is the thing that, that guys like me that are completely sold out to the power of discipleship. These are the words that, that like make my heart flutter. Because most people are saying, hey, 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 I did the thing. I believed on Jesus. I got her done. So I can check out now. I don't need to do any more of that life thing. I don't need to do any more. That's it. I've hit the top. I've, I've ran the race. I've won the prize. I got the trophy. I believed on Jesus. Now, back to my regular life. He said, those folks that actually pulled out of the normalcy of their world and believed on Him, going against the traditions of their father, going against the religions of their father, they actually pull into this little cult of Jesus. And then He says to those people, if you continue in My Word, in other words, you don't get to you don't get to make that one fire insurance payment. That one time, the X number of years ago, you did that one thing, and you're good to go. 
It don't work that way. This world is coming after you moment by moment by moment by moment. And the enemy wants nothing more than to put you into slavery and for you to not know that you're in slavery. (laughs) If you continue in my word. And I'll be honest with you, a bunch of folks in here, you don't, you haven't opened a Bible. <laughs> and I'm not looking at nobody. I'm looking at YouTube again. It's those people. It's that woman that you gave me. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. You're not a disciple because you're born again. You're not even a disciple because you've walked away from... <laughs> The traditional denomination, and you've come to the weird church. Just because you're sitting in here in a purple chair, don't make you a disciple. (laughs) Then are you my disciples indeed. So it's talking about completely transforming your belief system, getting into the group of people that you need to be in, and then when you're there, literally on purpose diving in. And for disciples, there are some cool things to follow. Verse 32. For the disciples, he said. Now, I want you to get this. This is one of the most commonly uh, misquoted verses in probably the entire Bible. I've actually heard people on TV quote this verse. And obviously they misquote it. And obviously they miss the context. Totally what the enemy does. The enemy knows the Bible more than you. So if he can help you misquote it and lose the context, he can get you. First thing that people say is that the truth will set you free. That's not in there. The truth doesn't set you free. Set you free is liberation. This is the difference. Liberation is someone coming to your prison cell and opening the door. Liberty is you walking out and learning how to live a life in freedom. And I listen, as a chaplain of the jail for seven or eight years now, I can tell you that just because someone is not in that jail cell does not mean that they are not a slave. I have told hundreds of guys, see you soon. And they're like, uh-uh, pastor. Once I get out of here, I'm out. I'm like, okay. All right. And guess who's right? Because I see him again. Because they've never actually gotten the slavery, the, the misery, the brokenness that's on the inside of them. They've never actually worked that out. And they've never allowed themselves to be taught by the Father. To be taught by the first son of liberty, Jesus Christ, to actually live free. Living free doesn't mean doing what you want. That is literally the opposite. You doing what you want is actual slavery. That is slavery. That is the definition of slavery. Because there is no greater and more powerful slave master than self. 
your flesh will never be satisfied. Never. I have watched this play out over and over. There are guys that think that just the more they work, if they can, if they can just get to that next level, if they can just get over the hump, if they can just get out of a little more debt, if they can just get the car, if they can just get the big screen, if they can just, if they can just, because the next step is they're going to have to conquer some other mountain. Like, you know, I mean, Kay used to be beautiful, but this other gal who's five years younger, or maybe ten. She's kind of pretty. Self will never be... And if you think you got it under control, well, I would never do that. (laughs) Well, God bless you. Bless your heart, as they say in Texas. Bless your darling heart. That you think, while you are living your life to satisfy self, that eventually you're just going to say, no, 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 no. We're only going to satisfy self to this degree. You don't think that self ain't going to scream bloody murder and eventually force you into his way of life? Freedom is not you doing what you want. Freedom is recognizing that you have power and authority to accomplish things that slaves cannot accomplish. The truth does not set you free. That's liberation. The truth creates freedom on the make. That's a creative word. Make. It makes freedom on the inside. But the truth by itself doesn't do that. Look what the Lord says. You will know the truth. Remember, this is for disciples. This isn't for Joe Average Christian. This isn't for people sitting in a church house. This isn't for people that believed on him that one time. This is for folks that are continuing in his word, that are pressing in. Those people, those people that turn from Joe Average Christian to disciple and are continuing in his word. For those folks, you get to know some truths. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, whoa, 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 why is God only letting those folks know some stuff? It's because he's giving people the reward of their heart. If you don't seek, you don't find. You don't get to stumble and trip into all the amazing things that God has for you. It doesn't work that way. Jesus specifically said, to those that have, much more will be given. But to those that have not, even the little that they have will be taken away. (gasps) God, how dare you be a capitalist? I know. Evil. God is so evil in our mentality, but God understands that His things are precious. And as much as He tells you not to throw your pearls before swine, He won't do the same thing. He's not going to pour out precious things into people's lives who have zero regard for those things. And there's a ton of folks in Christianity, and even people in this room, that the things of God really have no value to you. They're just not that valuable. They're not that important. And, I, and I, I totally hate to say that, but I am also not naive as a pastor. That the blood of Jesus Christ to you is just some doctrinal language. It's not actually real. It's not like Jesus was an actual real person who actually really died for you, who actually went through a tormenting, excruciating atonement for you. It's just all Bible and stories and maybe a movie. 
And, and I know everybody, no, not me, Pastor. I'm way more holy. But we can look at how we live our lives and how we express that. I mean, and even in a place like this, during worship, you're just like, oh my God, Ryan, please quit repeating that phrase. Irritating. Move on to the next song. Is this guy still preaching? Can you please shut up, Pastor? Man, I wished I had some more sleep. I think I'll just do it in church. These are, these are expressions of the reality of the fact that folks really don't value what God values. And I'm not being mean. I'm not picking on anybody. If you're struggling, whatever, that's you. I'm not, I am totally not picking on you. I'm just saying that it, it is the expression of... Okay, let me do it this way. So that nobody's like, Steve is a jerk. Well, you probably still do that. Um, how would my wife feel if I was in her presence and we were spending time together and we were talking and, and communicating and then I was snoring and drooling mid-conversation and she like graciously, lovingly just gives me a little tap and then I come back to my senses and then I play four levels of Candy Crush while she's talking. How would that make her feel? That she's valued? That I actually care about anything that she's got to talk about? Or is it just like Womp, 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 Charlie Brown. You'd think that God doesn't feel that way sometimes. And He's coming and doing things in our lives, and we're just like, oh my gosh, please stop with the God stuff. <laughs> I, I gotta do, don't you know, God? Some of us gotta go work for a living. Sit around and talk to you all day. I know, he, He's shocked by the fact that you, that you have needs in your life. The Father doesn't know that you have need of food and of raiment and of housing. and he, he is totally oblivious to the fact that you have needs in your life. Oh, thank you for that one. Mm. And you shall know the truth. So these crazy unique folks that are pressing into these things... They are the ones that know. And this word know is intimacy. This is the word for the union that takes place on the wedding night between a husband and a wife. This is the exact same Greek word. Know. You will have a deep, intimate experience with truth. And then you are made free. Then there's freedom that's literally created on the inside of you and that person will never go back into that place of slavery again because they have had an intimate experience with a truth that can never be taken away from them. This, this is why the disciples, not one time after the day of Pentecost, not one time could they ever be threatened with their life. To walk away from the Lord. They're like, kill me. Because what I've experienced, you can't take that from me. 
You can't threaten me. You can't make me fearful. You can't take anything from me because what I have is greater than anything you can take from me. They literally lived. I mean, Paul is a great example of this. Quit preaching in the Lord's name or we'll throw you in prison. Right? Throw him in prison because he wouldn't quit. Because he knew someone. This wasn't a doctrine. This wasn't a religion. This wasn't, you know, he wasn't like the paid minister getting a paycheck to go tell people about the stuff and the things. He met a man on the road to Damascus. His name was Jesus and it wrecked his whole life. And he could not stop talking about him. You better stop or we'll put you in prison. Well, better warm up the cell because I ain't stopping. So they throw him into prison. While he's in prison, bleeding, bleeding from what they just did to him, they whipped him, bleeding in a cell that was probably dark, dank, the rats were probably licking his blood, hungry, dehydrated, at midnight, worshiping Jesus, worshiping Jesus. At midnight. Okay, I won't make people raise their hands, but I'll guarantee almost nobody in this room who has a middle-class beautiful life slept in a warm bed last night. You weren't bleeding from the tormentuous sufferings that you did for the persecution of Jesus. You slept in a nice warm bed last night with five fluffy pillows. And nobody woke up worshiping Jesus at midnight, probably. Maybe you did. Don't brag. They were at midnight, hanging in stocks. Rats licking the blood off their wounds. Cockroaches crawling over their feet. Worshiping Jesus because they actually wanted to worship Jesus. That's someone who's made free. You're not going to get that from watching a movie. You don't watch The Passion of the Christ and you're like, wow, this changes everything. No, this comes from real, genuine, authentic meeting him. After he makes this amazing statement, you would think that these disciples, these sold out, totally, we're with you, Jesus, preacher of all preachers. (laughs) Pastor, I'm with you no matter what. Please don't tell me that because then next week I don't see you. And they answered him. (laughs) We be Abraham's seed. Next verse, sis. <laughs> she, she's so into my sermon, like, he's moving on. Uh, they said, we're Abraham's seed. And we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free. All right. I, I don't know if you caught this, but this is one of those massively hilarious places in all of Scripture. And due to the fact that nobody is falling on the floor laughing out loud, uh, you probably might not have caught it. 
Okay, these are Jews. What? Oh. I thought that was a phone going off. It was Eric. Uh, these are Jews. Uh, for those of you that are not hip to this, uh, this whole thing called the Old Testament, like the biggest, check, the biggest section of the Bible, the, the big chunk. <laughs> the, okay, I know some of you are like, okay, move on. Okay, there's a book in the Bible called Exodus. Anybody ever heard of Exodus? Yeah, okay, the, Exodus is the exiting of the Hebrews after 430 years in bondage. <laughs> These Jews. We've never been in bondage to anybody. Uh, so, this actually happens a lot. I, I understand the Lord sitting, standing there in this moment. Where you're trying to get someone to embrace the truth. Where you're trying to bring deliverance and liberty into someone's life. And they are absolutely so arrogant and filled with pride that they are going to argue with you about what you know and tell you the actual situation instead of what you perceive it to be, preacher. Jesus telling them there is a way for you to truly, authentically experience liberty. And they are saying, hey, 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 preacher, we're Abraham's kids. We are free, free. And the amazing thing for me, this is one of the reasons that I can tell you that I am not Jesus. Those of you that were confused, thinking, he could be Jesus. Let me tell you why I know for a fact I am not Jesus. Because in this moment, I would have slapped the stupid out of the whole bunch. I, I, I would have, I, there, was, there would be literally no way I could have resisted. It just would have been like three stooges. All you young people, Google it. These are folks that are literally, literally, as they are speaking, are in slavery to Rome. They're actually slaves as they're talking, saying, we've never been in bondage to any man. Just before Caesar put them into bondage, they were in bondage to Greece. And before Greece, they were Syrophoenician. And before then, it was Babylon. And before that, I mean, it was just, a, it was, in, it was thousands of years of non-stop bondage and slavery. Over and over. If you read the Old Testament, it's like, hey, God told Abraham, I'm going to make a nation. Abraham's like, woohoo, let's do that. So then he says, hey, by the way, uh, they're going to screw up a lot. And Abraham's like, well, you know how them kids are. <laughs> and then it's like over and over. If you, sometimes you read, like, read the book of Judges. It's like, can you get more stupid? And then I became a pastor. <laughs> and I realized... Some folks are literally just want to be gluttons for punishment. All right, I got free from that addiction. All right, what do we got now? Hey, look, a liquor store. Good, just go do that then. I'll, I'll hit you up when you come out. And then they come out and they're like, I don't ever want to do anything ever again. Is that a needle? How's that work? This is so 
um, this is so normal for the way that people live. It's like, yeah, I'm free. <gasps> All right, back underwater. They said, we're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to anyone. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He didn't even engage with it. This is where I'm slapping, folks. And Jesus is so gracious that he's always going to the root. He's always going to the spiritual root. He very, very seldom ever dealt with the flesh, ever dealt with the carnal. This is where I need to grow up and get better and become a better leader. Is because sometimes I'm so like shocked by carnality that I'm just like, Ugh, Jesus never was that way. To Jesus, you bring him a woman literally caught in the act of adultery. Still probably covered in her sin. And they throw her at his feet. And he defends the guilty. Because he knew, he knew what his gift of grace would do to that woman's life. This is something that I pray that I get better at every single day, that I can separate the activity from the nature. And it is, it is impossible to do in humanity. When someone lies to you, they're a liar. When someone hurts you, they're the enemy. Someone steals from you, you're going to hate them the rest of your life. And God is the opposite. That's not who you are. You are not a thief. You are not an abuser. You are not a liar. You are a son that I love. Please start living your life in my love. He never deals with the fruit he is a root guy all the time. And I am praying to get better and better at this every day. Every day. We be Abraham's seed and we're never in bondage to any man. How say you shall be made free? What are you even talking about? They were so arrogant and proud that they couldn't even recognize their dual slavery. Dual slavery. They were enslaved in their nature and they were enslaved as a nation. And they couldn't even see it. Man, I'll tell you what, this is why it is so important to be a disciple and to have men and women of God in your life that are looking at you differently than you look at yourself so that they can point out sometimes the obvious. They were in bondage as a nation and they were in bondage as a nature. And they didn't recognize either one because of their arrogance and pride. And Jesus pointed it out. And don't you know, when someone has that done to their lives, when someone is in arrogance and pride and they're in bondage and they're in slavery and all, and someone comes and says, hey, you're in slavery. Don't you know, all the time, the normal way that people react is, oh, thank you, Pastor. Oh, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed by the fact that you came and you told me the truth. Thank you so much. Here's 20 bucks. No, what is the normal reaction? <laughs> Jerk! <laughs> Shut up! 
quitting the church. I'm out of here. That pastor tells me stuff I don't want to hear all the time. What did they say? Next verse. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. He pointed out their nature. He gave them an opportunity to understand what he understood. Now remember, these were the disciples. These were the folks that did the hard part. And they still were going to argue with him. So he points out the nature of it. Now the word here, commit, in the Greek means to manufacture or create. Those of us that have been born again and have had our nature changed, we no longer manufacture or create sin. It's just a remnant left over of our stupid thinking, our stinking thinking. If you, if you think stinky, you live... This isn't working very well. That you are not creating, as a born-again believer, you're not creating and manufacturing sin. Remember, sin is hamartia, which is a noun, which means to miss the mark. You're not creating ways to miss the mark. You just have some behaviors or actions that still miss the mark. There's a big difference between creating it and just having fruit of it. Man, I don't have time to spend a whole intensive amount of time there. But he was saying that, listen, you guys are so in bondage that you're actually creating new ways to miss the mark in your life. This was their pastime, was to create ways to get themselves away from what God's plan and purpose for their life and for their experience to be. And they couldn't even recognize it. He pointed it out and they argued with him. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides. Forever. So he was pointing out the difference between a slave and a son. You know, I can come in to a, to a whole town full of slaves and come and declare to them that they are free. But all I've done is take shackles off of slaves. And they continue in slavery. They'll just find somewhere else. This is atypical human nature, is to find something else until you, cre- until you change yourself. We used to say this in the restaurant business. You can, uh, you can take a kid out of the slums, but you can't take the slums out of the kid. And I knew this myself. I, this is something that Kay and I have had to work through because we both grew up poor. And so we had a poverty mentality. And we kept going over and over, doing things in our lives, recreating poverty, and then getting frustrated that we were recreating poverty. And praying to God, and like, God, it's your fault, or what are you doing? Or, you know, we didn't like outwardly blame Him, but we had this internal struggle, like, why is God not helping us get into prosperity? And all the time is God's like, why are you having poverty in your mind and in your heart? Well, you put it there. (laughs) No, I didn't. We don't get to blame him. 
That was not Him. He wants us to be a son. And we're so familiar with slavery. It's like Linus with his blanket. He, he, he can't even survive the, the whole five minutes that it's in the washing machine. It's like freaking out. Give me, i got to have something to hang on to. i got to go clock in at work. i got to go be productive. i got to go do the thing. It's the only thing that gives me value. Because you're not a son. A son has intrinsic value. A slave has no value. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, make you free, you are, you shall be free indeed. Which means all of the folks in this world that say that they have free will, they're lying to themselves. I honestly believe that the enemy came up with that term. That he goes to some person who has zero to do with God, who doesn't give a rip about Jesus, God, Bible, and, and they say, I got free will. Where'd you get it from? Well, I'm, I'm a man. I'm, I'm human. So I have free will. No, you don't. You have choice. Everybody has choice. But you don't have free will until the Son sets you free. You don't have free anything. Until the Son has given you freedom. The only freedom that those folks have is manufactured, plastic, synthetic. It looks free. It feels free. It smells free. Anybody ever heard uh, the saying, there's no such thing as a free lunch? It's true. These folks that think that they have free will because they get to do what they want, There ain't a lick of freedom in that. You do not get free will until you've been born again and the Son has made you free. Uh, Yesterday, what does it say, the 20th? Yesterday is a new holiday. Anybody know that? Good for you. Um, So I want to say a little bit about this. So yesterday is a new federal holiday. It was a holiday in 48 states. Uh, And so this year they actually made it a federal holiday, which I'm completely on board with. I completely agree with. Yesterday is Juneteenth. Juneteenth. And for those of you that don't know what that is, um, let let me give you a flyby of Juneteenth. If you remember way back when in the Civil War, and, and there's a whole, <laughs> I could do a history lesson on this for an hour, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk as fast as I can. If you don't get it, that's fine. Go and watch the, the YouTube later. But on January 1st, 19, uh, 8, 19, 1863, uh, Abraham Lincoln signed what was called the Emancipation Proclamation. Abraham Lincoln. The land of Lincoln. We're in Illinois. Amen. Amen. He signed on January 1st, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation. But this was not... That didn't automatically make everyone free. He legally, as President of the United States, that was at war, in a civil war, he legally had the rights to do this, But there was a ton of folks arguing with him with muskets. 
because they were right. So here's the real quick flyby. 1787, we have a constitution of the United States that was signed and legally made. And in section one, in uh, Article 1, Section 2, there's this thing called the Three-Fifths Compromise. The Three-Fifths Compromise was that all slaves in America were only given three-fifths of a vote. And most people look at that and say, see, we were created in slavery. We're created against the, the black man. We hated black. We're, we're, uh, uh, critically race theory says that we are, everybody in this nation is automatically a racist. Because even in our constitution, there's this three-fifths compromise. And they're so ignorant to history that they don't understand that the three-fifths compromise was literally to punish the slave states by not giving the population a full vote for them to be able to continue doing slavery. They on purpose punished the slave states. <laughs> and now we've turned it into, well, see, even the founding fathers thought that a black man was only worth three-fifths. No, they did that on purpose so that they wouldn't continue to get more slaves and get more votes and continue to perpetuate slavery. And we, we still don't get it. So the three-fifths compromise, 1787. It worked for a little while, but then we eventually had to have states that were coming into the Union. And so there was, uh, the next thing was the Missouri Compromise, which was uh, 18, uh, 1846 was the Missouri Compromise. And it lasted for about 34 years. The Missouri Compromise was, okay, fine, here's what we'll do to compromise with the South, the pro-slavery South. We will put in a state... That is, uh, that, that has legal slavery for every state that we bring in free. And so they brought in Maine free and they brought in Missouri as a slave state and it was called the Missouri Compromise. And that lasted for about 30 years. In other words, this is what happens with compromise, y'all. For those of you that are compromising with the enemy, well, I'll just do a little. Okay. So eventually this gets to the place where we get to what's called the Dred Scott. Anybody ever heard of the Dred Scott decision from the Supreme Court? So Dred Scott was a slave in Missouri. His slave owners took him and his family to Illinois, a free state. Man, that was a great place for an amen. Whatever. (laughs) They took him and his family to a free state, Illinois, and then his... And then his, slave, then his slave master died. And so Dred Scott sued the slave master's wife for his freedom because he was in Illinois and the slave master died. He was set free by the death of the slave master. Man, I hope you're picking this up. Come on, church. So he sued. Rightfully so. His lawsuit took 11 years. And at the end of 11 years, don't you know the Supreme Court, who is supreme, who always do what God wants them to do. They have never, ever made a wrong judgment. And the Supreme Court, who is so supreme that they're next to God, says, nope, you're a slave. Even though you live in a free state, Even though your slave master died, because you're a slave, you're a slave. You're always going to be a slave. Uh, Those of you that think that the Supreme Court can redefine marriage. 
Dred Scott. Dred Scott thrust our nation into war. Because the South said, that's it, we win. Five Supreme Court justices thrust our nation into a civil war that killed more percentage of Americans than anything we've ever done except abortion. The number one killer of all Americans has been abortion. The number two killer of all, of all Americans percentage-wise was the Civil War. Five Supreme Court justices thrust our nation into Civil War. Now, to bring a balance to this, there's a guy named William Wilberforce in the UK who abolished slavery, who almost single-handedly abolished slavery in the UK by changing the hearts and the minds of mankind in the UK. So they eventually abolished slavery without a single bullet with no blood. The United States of America, because slavery was so ingrained in so many people, the only way to get rid of it was to kill each other. Brother against brother. In the middle of that conflict... 1863, Abraham Lincoln, under the unction of God, emancipates by proclamation all slaves in the United States of America. And so you'd think, yeah, everybody's free. Just because they were liberated didn't mean that they were in liberty. In 1865, Robert E. Lee surrendered the Confederate Army to Ulysses S. Grant at a Potomac courthouse on April 9th, 1865. That was the official end of the Civil War. The Union done kicked their tailbones with divine providence. I pray that you go home and you study the Civil War and you see how many miraculous encounters took place for the Union Army, they should have lost at least seven times. At least seven times. The Union Army should have lost, logically. And because of supernatural intervention, they did not. When you are fighting for what is right... Oh, come on, beloved. When you are fighting for something that is right, your father doesn't check the odds. He makes the odds. The last battle that was fought was after this. On May 13th, 1865, and I hate to say this, in Texas. God, Texas. I say all these nice things about Texas, then they do some dumb thing like this. God bless them. On June 19th of 1865, so if you're doing the math, April is when the war ended. June 19th. Is after April, correct? General Gordon goes into Texas and declares in Galveston to all of the folks there that Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States, has declared 
two and a half years ago that every slave that is here has been set free. They have been proclamated to be emancipated by the President of the United States and he has defended that proclamation in war and has come out victorious. And this is months, months after... And General Gordon has to go to Galveston and said, you better set these folks free or there's going to be bullets again. The slave masters would not release their slaves even though their slavery had been ended in war. And I hope you're picking this up. There is a slave master, two of them, One of them's name is Satan. The other one's name is self. And don't assume just because the Bible says that you have been emancipated. That they're just going to say, well, okay, I guess that's over. We're done. Juneteenth. Man, I'll tell you what, as a Christian, Juneteenth should be a huge deal to you. Because Juneteenth was when slaves were actually released into liberty after they had been liberated. And this is the Christian life. Finding out that you have been liberated is only step one. Necessary step, important step, valuable step. But it is only the first step. The next step is living in liberty. And most folks don't have a clue about that. They say, okay, I'm born again. All right, back to work. And there is, there is very little that changes in their life. If you were arrested as a Christian, it would be hard to convict you. There's not enough evidence. Then I, I tell you what, I, I, I had someone that just got mad at me. I preached something along these lines the other day. I know, shocking. And, uh, and I said, which you guys have heard, uh, I've made, I made that statement like, hey, you know, I can check your checkbook register. And I can check your calendar. And I can check what you have affection in. And I can tell you whether you're actually authentically a Christian or not. And this person got super mad. <laughs> like, well, I don't have a lot of money, so I've got to use all my money for my bills. Which means I've got to work all the time. So all my time has to go to working. So da, da, da. And my affection, you know, I have, I'm just not an affectionate person. And they were mad at me. I didn't do it. What you put your resources in is what your heart goes to. In fact, our core value uh, verses in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, where Jesus said that it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you look two or three verses later, that's when Jesus said that where a man's treasure is, that is where their heart is. It's not reversed. You don't find a man's heart and then see where their treasure is. You see a man's treasure and in that place you will find his heart or hers. This is awesome because this means that you can actually send your heart somewhere. You can start treasuring something and then your heart will go to that thing. I love my wife more today than I did 26 years ago on our wedding night. More. Without reservation. I can tell you I was an absolute fool on our wedding night. 
And it's the same thing with Jesus. I met him 41 years ago. And I love him by far, not even comparing. By far, I love him more today than I did that day. One of the things the Lord will never come to me and say, you have lost your first love. (laughs) Oh, Lord, it's you and I am all in on my first love. Maybe I ain't got some stuff figured out. Maybe I need to get better at some things. I need to grow up. I need to learn. I need to develop. I, 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 I can be a better leader. I can be a better pastor. I can be a better husband. I can be a, but I love my Lord. I have kept my first love. So now there's a whole half to this that I don't get to preach. Let me tell you what the general said which was called General Order Number 3 on the original Juneteenth. Standing in front of slave masters and slaves, both of which hanging on the general's words. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance... Texas. In accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. And the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. Man, I can I cannot tell you how much I can preach on all that. He said, All right, slave masters, you're done. Your power is broken. Slaves, the power over you is broken. Now what should you do? Stay exactly where you are and work. But now you work from a different heart. You work for a different reason. You are now a hired laborer. And your former slave master, all he is, is a paycheck provider. Everything has changed. Nothing has changed. Are you following this? He said, for those of you slaves that think, hey, this means that we can just... Be done. Go sit on the couch, eat bonbons, and let the government send us checks. (laughs) He said, it don't work that way. You are not going to come to the government and get your check. The government is not your new mama. Man, I, I hope we... You don't get to come to this understanding of liberty and then say, okay, God, I get it. I'm set free. Thanks for all that. Woohoo! Go Jesus. So now, I'm just going to chill at the house and you got to make everything work right in my life. The general, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to come to you and say, hey, it don't work that way, sweetie. You need to go out there and engage with your world and own your liberty and change things in your life. And you don't let your government go to hell. And you don't let them come into your school and mentally molest your children. And you don't let them go into the secret, sacred place of the womb of a woman and let them slaughter a child. 
And you don't let them take from you liberty and value. Man, you don't let them emasculate you. Woman, you don't let them tell you to be a man. And I can go on and on and on. And because we've honestly had a false, a synthetic liberty that has taken place in our lives, we've allowed all these things to happen. Well, Lord, why aren't you doing something about the government? We literally have a government that starts out with we the people. And then we the people are going to pray to thou art God and ask him to fix it. And I got news for you. The we the people part of our constitution came from the Bible. It's actually called the Great Commission. That's where the Founding Fathers got it from. The Founding Fathers recognized that the strongest government that's ever existed is the government of God, the kingdom of God. And they recognized that the king of that kingdom turned around and said, In my name, you go into all your world. And so the Founding Fathers said, Okay, the strongest government, the greatest government ever made the kingdom of God, the king of that kingdom went back to the people and said, You take my name. And so they said, How should we start out by forming this government? We the people. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. It's a dangerous freedom. Because you can take that freedom and call self-serving freedom. He liberated you from the slave master of Satan. He liberated you from the slave master of other men. Knowing that some people can take that liberty. Well, Jesus died for my sins, so I can sin. You can, if that's what you want to do. If that's how you want to thank the Lord for what He's done in your life. If you want to stand at the cross and get a whip and make sure you put a couple of more lashes on Him right before He dies and spit on Him and pull His beard out because you have the freedom to do that because He forgave everyone. You can do that. He knows it's a dangerous freedom. It was for freedom. That Christ set us free. Here's the thing. You cannot truly live your life without freedom. And so He gave you what was necessary for you to have the opportunity to live the life that He created you to live. Knowing that many people would take that freedom and literally use it against Him. That's what makes God, God. I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could set someone free that I know was going to come back and abuse me. With that freedom that I gave them. I don't know if I could do it. And he did it. But then he gave us this warning. Do not be entangled again. With the yoke of slavery. Here's what he's saying. I have set you free. But you only get to be emancipated once. You go back into slavery, you have to set yourself free. And I got news for you. The slave master of Satan and the slave master of self, they're strong. And they have changed that bind. And their yoke, their shackles are difficult to break. You get emancipation one time. 
And you will know that truth. And then that truth will make you free. So I'd encourage you to embrace living in the liberty that you were liberated to experience. Because it is the only way that you are going to live out the abundant life that your Savior died to give you. I'd like to pray for you. Please rise. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health, prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.